Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Y'all doing well? Merry Christmas to you. Continuing the Christmas season here with you. And uh, as you know, I'm, I'm going to start every week just kind of sprucing it up a little more. I know I don't normally wear this kind of stuff. I would, though. If y'all wanted me to, I totally would. I'm down with it. Although I will admit, I am pouring sweat right now. So uh, bear with me. If, I'm sorry, front row. Like, just bear with me. Stuff's going to be flying up here, but we're in the book of First. We're excuse me. We're in the book of John, chapter one, and uh, we're in this series where we've called "Rediscover Christmas." Rediscover Christmas, and the idea of this whole thing is that we are trying to recover that which may have been lost, whether it's through materialism or, or, or whatever it is, the culture, whatever you're seeing around you that says Christmas is this. Uh, perhaps at times we're missing the things that really matter in this season. And that's the hope is that as we dig into the Word of God, we would see the things that are are important about Christmas. The reason we would as a church decide to celebrate such a thing as Christmas. What are those things? What are those things we need to uncover? And this morning we've titled the sermon, Rediscover the Mystery. The Mystery. We have to admit something as adults. We kind of This season has become less about something mysterious and something, this feeling you get of like longing and expectation and all that cool stuff you used to feel. I mean, if you can think back to when you were a child and you could barely sleep on Christmas Eve or or this whole season and and you're getting out of school and there's just wonder and some of you are from up north and you get snow, that never happens here really. Every once in a while, we get a foot or we get an inch and we, we think it's two feet, but that's how we roll, but... A little bit of snow. You just there's all this excitement and, and mystery and, and this time where you get to be with family. Sometimes family you never get to see hardly, and just the season feels it feels almost magical, if you will. And then as adults, it becomes something else. Sometimes something that's difficult. Maybe there's people you don't want to see or people that are missing from the table. Maybe it becomes difficult because there's just so much required of you in this season. I think if you work retail, I don't know who my real retailers are in the room, but that's like, this is not a joyful time of year for you. You're dreading the whole month of December because the company you work for, this is where they make like 40% of their profit for the whole year. And they work you like a dog, right? So for a lot of us, we feel differently about this. My hope today is that we would get back to the real mystery. That there's something to be longing for. Last week we talked about this expectation that Christ who came is coming again. And there's such anticipation with that. But but there's mystery underneath the story. There's a mystery that John is going to get into in John chapter 1. And perhaps this is a pretty well-known passage for a lot of you in the room. But I want you to understand what John, what I believe he is trying to do in in these verses. He's trying to unpack this wonderful origin story, this thing that Christ has done that's bigger than just become flesh. It's way, way bigger. And I can't wait to unpack that with you right now because this thing, this sense of mystery, one, one writer that I, I, was, I was reading up on this this week, one writer says a sense of mystery is like no other feeling. A sense of mystery may even be the spice of life, this, this writer says. It seems to light up the brain in a unique way. It's hard to describe the emotion, but it's clear that people enjoy the feeling. And in a very inverse way, some might say the opposite of mystery, the lack of mystery in your life, is actually behind a lot of human illness. 
In fact, some would argue that depression might be defined as a loss of a sense of mystery. That, in fact, when you're depressed, you have no desire to explore yourself or the world around you. It is a feeling that everything is flat and one-dimensional. It is boredom and a lack of interest in living. It is not caring about mystery anymore. In fact, one psychologist named William James, who suffered from profound depression, he once said that the only thing that kept him alive was this faint desire to find out what happened in the world the next day. Instead of focusing solely on taking away depression or some other illness, maybe we can start concentrating on infusing life with a greater sense of mystery. And that mystery is unpacked in the gospel. That mystery is unpacked in the person of God, who I believe, just so you know, my impression of what heaven might be like is an endless supply of mystery, a God who can never be unraveled. That if we think for a moment we would get bored there, that there is a vast God who can't be discovered. But we get to spend eternity trying. I think that's wonderful. And that's the mystery of Christmas. Do you want to rediscover that mystery with me? Here we are, we're in the book of John, and the gospel according to John opens up with one of the most amazing and mysterious prologues, maybe in the entire Bible. In, in, in John's gospel, he reveals this mystery that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who had come in the flesh, and we can rediscover that mystery too. So let's consider that. I think we're going to see, in fact, three great mysteries right here in the text. John chapter 1, let me actually turn there, there we go. John chapter 1, verse 1. Through 18, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about that light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Now, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his very own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. And he cried, this was he of whom I said, he comes, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. What a mysterious story. I did mean to do this right as I, I came up here. Some of you may have not recognized our drummer today. Uh, his name is Brother Chris. I, you didn't expect me to do this to you. you hiding in here? Where are you hiding at right now? There you are. Uh, it was his first Sunday playing with us. He did a great job. I wanted to give him a shout out. I normally do that when we have a, a new player. Uh, he, I'll tell you, Christmas music is a doozy. 
and he was definitely not our problem today. So great job today, Chris. We, we appreciate you dearly. But let's dig into this mystery together in the book of John chapter 1. He says some, some fascinating things in these 18 verses, some deeply theological things. And I'm, <laughs> this is kind of interesting for me, but I'm keeping these points somewhat in Bible language. Okay, I don't normally do that, but there's a reason. And it's another mnemonic device just for you. Uh, these are three L's coming your way so that you might remember. I'm trying to help you, that's all. We can discover, rediscover the mystery of Christmas by first considering the mystery of Christ as Lagos. Now, that is not an English word. I understand that. However, it is a word that we use a lot in society when we talk about anything that ends in ology, biology, ecology. You put it, there's, there's tons of these. Ology comes from the Greek logos, which means the study of or logic. But for the Greeks, for, for the Greeks and the Jews in John's day when he's writing, this is a deeply philosophical term. For the Greeks, they believe this word logos, this, this word here that is the word word, and you see it capitalized in your text, is the idea of this, for the Greeks, an impersonal force, a, an abstract concept necessary to explain the order and purpose of things. This was like their, their root. Like, what is the, the explanation of all? Logos. It's, for them, it was a philosophy. For them, it was like uh, intelligence or wisdom. In fact, in Hebrew thought, it's often translated the word wisdom. It's more personal, though, for the Jew. It's the power of unity and coherence. They were even closer, and yet John says, you want to know who it really is? It's not an impersonal force. It's not wisdom. It's a person. Lagos, this, this word is, is going to become flesh. It has become flesh, and not only that, but it is a person, the second person of the Trinity, in fact, to which he argues in verse 1 some fascinating things. This is the mystery that Christianity unpacks that I don't want you to miss at Christmas time, that he is the origin story. That Jesus is the beginning, the middle, and the end. That's the joy of Christmas. This logos, this word, become flesh. He is the answer to so many of your questions. So, so many. If not, I may argue at the end, he may answer them all. If you were to really break them down, what are the, what are the origins? What is life? What is all of these things lend themselves to, to Jesus? And that's what John's trying to paint for us. Look, as he's writing, he's writing to Greeks and Jews, and he's saying... Look, you guys are arguing about what this thing means. You're both close. <laughs> You're close. It's Jesus. You want to know? It's Jesus. The word who was and is and is to come. He says in verse 1, in the beginning, this is the origin story. He's kind of, there's no way of getting around it. This sounds like Genesis 1-1. And he's painting a new picture and saying, look, the thing that you, if you look back at Genesis 1-1, you, you will see in the beginning, God created. And the word God there is Elohim, which is the plural form of God. And it says the Spirit is hovering over the water. The Trinitarian God is in view in Genesis 1-1. The story has not changed. The person has just been revealed. And Jesus has been made clear. The Son of God has come. This is a mystery that John is unpacking now for us. And he says, look, he is, he is both with God, is God, was God. This, this is a wonderful thing here in verse 1. And he says in verse 3 something that Christians, I have to admit, we often miss. He says, all things were made through him. He is the catalyst, if you will, of creation. I've heard some people say it this way, that God spoke and what he spoke was Jesus. 
That God the Father is the power, but the execution of creation is Christ. And then the Spirit is what inhabits it and sustains it. There's this wonderful beauty of creation. And it's the simplest explanation for what we see. Rather than all of these very mysterious and crazy terms that we, we've probably studied, many of you have studied for much of your life, and people generally run from this most basic origin story, and yet if you want mystery in your life again, it's Christ and Him as Creator and Sustainer. And the Word became flesh, it goes on in verse 14. He became human. Randy prayed about this earlier. There's, there's no getting around the beauty of that notion, that God the Father in His throne room would make the decision to send His Son, that His Son would step off the throne. As some might put it, I've heard this said before, He removed the insignia of perfection, if you will, and stepped down to our level and in a really, really, really plain way, in a way that is so easy to understand. He became a baby, a very needy thing. There's really nothing more needy than that. In fact, if you ever watch the Discovery Channel, you'll notice if you watch an elephant give birth or something like that, those suckers come out and immediately walk. You know what humans don't do? Those things come out and immediately find a way to eat. And the animals are not like us. They're not like us at all. We are uniquely feeble when we come out. Uniquely feeble. We need everything from our parents. Everything. We can't clothe ourselves. We can't even move. We can make some wine and sounds, but only a mother knows what those even mean. I never figured them out. Well, that's his, he's pooped himself, cry. Okay, I, sounds like his hungry cry. They all sound the same, moms. I'm sorry, they just do. You just have this intuition. The cry didn't change. The mystery that Christ would become flesh and that he would dwell among us. This word in verse 14 is something you may overlook, but a student of the Bible would see that word dwell, that he dwelt among us and go, okay, where have I seen that before? This is the very same word that you might use for tabernacled, that he has pitched his tent in our life. In fact, this, this harkens back to the Feast of Tabernacles, that the thing where they were out in the desert longing for the promised land, Jesus is that in our lives. He has dwelt among us. His presence in the tabernacle is now in our hearts, in our, in our very spirit. He, he has dwelt in such a mighty way with us. And then John says this thing that I bet was a mind exploder to everybody who was listening. John the Baptist has come before Christ to prepare the way. He is baptizing. And the point of his ministry was that the people who followed him, when they saw the Savior Jesus, would then move on. Christ Jesus. Now, I have you know something very interesting. There are followers of John the Baptist to this day in the Middle East. And I would say that might be the saddest thing I've ever heard. That John, who prepared the way for Christ Jesus and was trying to hand his disciples off, that they would linger. That's a side note, just for your knowledge. But he says this thing, and look, John the writer here was a follower of, the, of John the Baptist. If you go on and read John, you'll notice Basically what John the Baptist does and says, oh, there he is. You know that guy I've been talking about? There he goes. And then there's the baptism scene. I'm not even, he, he speaks of Jesus. I'm not even worthy to, to unstrap his sandals. There's all this conversation. And so John, when he sees him, along with, with James, they say, well, this is what he's been talking about. Let's go follow the guy. They got it right. That's why I think he brings up John the Baptist here. And something comes to mind that he heard him say. And that's maybe at the heart of his writing here. The word 
which is preeminent, which has always been, which is created. How is it then that John the Baptist is able to say this unless it's true? He says this crazy statement in verse 15. This was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. That is a strange sentence. We have to admit that. And the reason he says this is John the Baptist is actually six months older than Jesus, the person, the physical body. I spoke some last week of this interaction they had when they were in the womb together. When, when John was in Elizabeth's womb and Jesus and Mary's. And so John has already hit the scene. So in a sense, he was technically older. That's what he's saying. Yeah, I'm older, but not. Because this Jesus, who y'all think is just 30 here as we're observing him, is ageless. He's without beginning. <laughs> he ranks before me because he came before me. That was a, a wonderful sentence there. God's divine word, just so you know, it means creation. He created, and this is a wonderful term. You guys can sound smart at the water cooler this week. It's the word ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. Ex nihilo is this philosophical term people use. This is what God did. He created ex nihilo, out of nothing, which means he has power. He has the ability to do something we simply do not have. We are created. And I would argue this is one of the greatest apologetics there is. Because at the end of the day, whether it's evolution or Darwinism or whatever it is you want to chase down, something uh, that's, that's anti-theistic, something, whatever you want to chase down, at the end of the day, I want to know where did something come from? I don't care. You can tell me there's no God. But the idea of ex nihilo, the idea that something came from nothing, you need to explain that. And the only explanation I can come to that's valid, that's, that even works for me, is there's some intelligent design. There's a superior force. Now, if you want to say there is no God, but you can believe that, you're, you're just in a dodgy zone. All right? You just don't want to admit that you're not in charge. That's where you are. But we need to at least come to a place where we say there is something that created. Because no matter how much we put it back, we can say, well, this origin, and there was primordial soup, and there was slime, and there was all of this perfect... Well, what, what put all that together? What made that possible? There's got to be an answer. Psalm 33, it says, The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. Hebrews 1 says, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. Y'all might not know this. I have four children. I think most of you are aware of that. And they all talk, I would argue, way too much. All right, That's just my opinion of the matter. But, but there is one of them that is... Definitely my question, kid. If you asked my wife right now, she would know which one that is in the order. And it is sweet Addie, okay? She asks too many questions, okay? Just a whole lot. And it would be fine if it was throughout the day. No, it's, it's strategically when we're watching a movie most of the time. Uh, she, I don't know if she really just doesn't want to see it for herself. She's hoping we will answer all the questions about the movie we're watching before it even occurs. It's like, I just don't want the surprise of it. I don't know what's going through her brain. But so many questions. How do reindeer fly? We're watching Christmas movies. How, how's this? And, and we have to do this every time. And maybe this sounds bad, but Addie, you can't ask any more questions. Just watch the movie because guess what? I have, I have bad news. I haven't seen this one yet. 
So I have no idea. I have no idea how they're going to explain any of this. Just watch. That's who we were. And I wonder something. Have we gotten too old to question everything? Have we gotten too old to look at the things we see happening around us and go, why? What's going on here? What's the mystery behind this? Or have we just said, you know, these are questions I can't answer, so let me just shovel them aside. Rather than every once in a while, look at them and go, wow, God, it must be you. It must be you because nothing else makes sense for what I'm seeing. God, what are you up to? Some years ago, German philosopher, his name's Gottfried Leibniz. That's a good one. Leibniz, he went a step further and asked a question that I've heard for many years. I had to look it up this week to see who, it, who started it. But he asked this question, why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing? That's a really great question. And a follow-up might be, why is it this and not that? Why aren't we blue? Why isn't the sky green and the ground blue? Why do we see this and not something else? Why is there something and not nothing? This is such a great question. I would encourage you, friends. These are the kind of questions that are great while you're driving to work rather than yelling at the people passing by. Why is there something rather than nothing? And looking around at the beauty of this time of year and going, hmm, there's a lot of explanations out there. What's the one that really, really works? What's the one that supercharges my worship? That God did this? The only explanation that Godfrey could come up with was that there was a God and he created it. And he tried to wrestle it many ways. I think this man was ready to let it be anything but God. And yet that's the only answer that made any sense. When did you lose your sense of wonder and mystery? Are you too old for mystery? I hope not. He's the reason there's something rather than nothing. Here's the second mystery. This one's equally amazing. The mystery of Christ as life. This is, this is maddening. John says, first of all, this logos, which you Greeks think is impersonal, and the Jewish people, you think it's wisdom and, and, and this, it's Jesus. And then he goes on to say, and you think life is like this, what makes something work? It's, 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 what, it's what feeds us. There's, what is life? It's, we need oxygen. There's carbon. What is life? No, no, John says, Jesus. So again, you're telling me that life... <laughs> That means he, what he's saying is the origin of it, the sustaining power of it. And I know this is true the more I think about it because just crazy things happen sometimes that are somewhat unexplainable. And unless, unless there's a God that's weaving patterns, unless there's a God that's at work, it makes no sense that at one moment I can breathe and at another I can't. That this happens to people. That in the blink of an eye, something could go down. And the things I thought were life, oh, I think my body's healthy. Oh, I think I'm doing well. That... Stuff can change in an instant. Or that, on the flip side of that, I can be ultimately sick and miraculously be good. These things don't make sense scientifically, and they happen all the time. It says, in him was life, verse 4. Zoe, life. The absolute fullness of life, abundant life. This is the life when he says in Genesis chapter 2 that he breathed life into Adam. Christ again on display. It's like the execution of God every time. The things he created, the breath of life is Christ. He became flesh for us. And then it goes on in verse 12 and 13 to say that many, many didn't see him. In fact, 
Those in creation did not observe their creator. They didn't notice it. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Like, that's kind of clear if you watch TV at all, if you bump into your neighbors. People have a, an amazing ability to live as though there is no God. They have an amazing ability to do that. That's the fallen nature of man, I believe. That's the sinful nature that we want self-charge and not God in charge. That's just kind of our bent. And, and so he says that that's true. And I think people were like, well, yeah, duh. And more than that, verse 11, that he came to his very own. That means he came to the people of God, the, Isra- the Israelites, to the Jews, and they didn't receive him either. But now something crazy's happened. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, now have become children of God. So he's life, he's creator, he's sustainer. And now those of us who I would say just about 100% of us in the room are non-Jews, that he said, you know what? You're my kids now. You're something even more than I promised. Or Well, you are what I promised to them, though they didn't fully get it. You are the children of God. You're no longer children of wrath. You're no longer living in sin. You are my kids. You are princes and princesses of the king. Wonderful news. You have been given fullness of life, not just this physical life, but eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is what John writes later in John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, that is the Father. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the promise of Christ, more than physical life, although that's true. Eternal life, something permanent, something beyond, something we have to admit that is ultimately mysterious. I made this statement last week that we've really gotten out of the habit, even in our singing, of talking about heaven. And I think there's a real danger in that because there's such a mystery for us as Christians when we think about heaven. There's a wonderful mystery that God didn't just come to give us life now, but everlasting. And that should give us hope. That when we live without joy, when we live without hope in this life, I believe it's an indication we're not embracing the mystery of what is to come. Because if we would just get eyes that would be open to what is coming in our future because of Christ Jesus, we would not linger in our depression so very long. Now, I recognize there's hard things happening in your life all the time. But I would, I would ask you, consider the mystery of Christ equally, if not more, than those, those, those dark things. This is why I think James says, I consider it pure joy when I face trials of many kinds. Why? Because it makes my faith stronger. Because it's an attitude that I've adjusted for myself. I've made the decision Christ is more. I'm going to give you something even more scientific here. Because this stuff just fascinates me. But perhaps when you were going through school in your school biology textbooks, you may have run across what's called the Miller-Urey experiment. Anybody ever heard of that? Miller-Urey experiment. Yes? Good. All right. They've kind of started wiping this out of the books because, believe it or not, they found out it wasn't really all that accurate. But it was an experiment that these, uh, these people were, were simulating what, what was uh, the, the Darwinists especially were, were, were saying these are the conditions on earth at the time that things began to you know, create. That these are the, the right conditions of primordial soup, if you will. That's a, that's a hard one to say. Primordial soup. There we go. 
And so they, what they did, this is 1952, just so you know, they did this experiment, sealed water, methane, ammonia, and hydrogen in a glass flask. And then they applied electrical sparks into that mixture. And miraculously, amino acids came into existence amid the rolling mixture. And it was really big news. It was really big news. They thought, well, this is a sign. This is a clear sign that just inanimate things can cause life. They've since kind of dropped this as a really uh, clear indication for a lot of reasons. And maybe you're already thinking of them. First of all, what causes the electrical waves? Okay. And second of all, and maybe the, the worst of all, is they have this isolated glass flask where this stuff's occurring. Where did the glass come from? Where did the enclosure come from? And they later discovered there's amino acids already in the glass. To which if you look at a world, okay, we can say, well, there was water and methane and, and ammonia and all these hydrogen and these, these things were in this circular-shaped vast planet. Okay. And then something caused it all to just begin to take form. There's a whole laundry list of problems there. Where did, the, where did the enclosure come from? And there's explanations for all of this. You guys can do a deep dive this week. Go for it. I have no fear that you might discover that there's these mysterious arguments out there about the origins of life. And I just want you to keep asking. Keep asking yourself, okay, does this solve all of the questions I have? Does it answer them all? Because for me, God does. Out of something, nothing. There are some, this is wonderful, there are some, in fact, that would argue there are these universe generators out there. These, these inanimate things that generate universes. And to me, that sounds a lot like God. They just don't want to say it. That sounds like God. But, it, but it's impersonal, and that means it doesn't matter. So I can live however I want. That's, at the end of the day, isn't that it? Like, I just want to live however. If God's in charge, then I'm not. And that's the mystery of Christmas, though. That not only am I not in charge, he had to come to set me free. I was so far from in charge that God himself had to step foot on the earth. Wow. What a wonderful mystery this is, though. Could we not just see the beauty of that rather than wrestle with this constant thing that, guess what, I'm a created thing. I'm not the creator. Guess what, I'm... (laughs) I'm a, I'm a vessel in the, in, in the master's plan. I'm a pawn. He's the king. That's harmful, I know, to your identity. I know, that hurts so much. You're not. You're not the king. And nor am I. And I'm really excited about that. Because he's good. He's good and he loves me and he's pure and he's perfect. And I'm none of those things. Do you want to know the origin of life? Look to Jesus. Here's the last, the mystery of Christ as light. As light. You get them? Three L's. Lagos, life, light. And this last one is amazing. Because the idea of light here isn't simply that you flipped on a light switch. This has to do, this is a metaphor often used for truth and knowledge. This is John answering the third really important question. You want to know what the origin of life is? It's Jesus. You want to know how to know? It's Jesus. Let me, go, let me go just a little deeper. The very, very fact that human beings ask questions like, where did we come from? Jesus. Because He is light. And He's the one that illuminates the mind. 
You can go and stare at your dog and, and, and ask him, hey, are you asking these kind of questions? I promise you, the only thing your dog is thinking about is when's the next meal and I want to get out of the rain today. You know, and, and, and maybe they worship you in, in the sense of you are the one who provides the things, right? But they, they're not asking, why, why is there evil in the world? Where did I come from? No orangutan has ever asked this, not once. I'm sorry, you can argue for all of these, these theories, but there's something unique about the human mind that I say it's because we're made in the image of God. And that's a better explanation. It's more clean and it makes more sense and it changes my life. If he's the light and he's what illuminates, now I have, I have answers. I, I know where to go to ask questions. He says... Those who were in darkness, there's a light now shining there. And the darkness will not overcome it, he says in verse 5. Darkness, again, is not just the absence of light. He's talking about ignorance. He's talking about this idea of being ignorant to things. He says in verse 9, now the true light has come. And, and, and this is a glorious light, as he puts in 14. And it's full of grace. And it's full of truth. This is why the words truth and light just keep getting paired seamlessly together. Because knowledge and truth are in Christ Jesus. Christ is the light of the world, the truth that sets us free from darkness. He says in John chapter 8, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is what he says later in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the light. He's the question answerer. He's the guide. He's what caused you to have life. He's what causes you to have eternal life. He's what sustains you in this life. And he's also what lights your path. This is exceptional news. That means Christmas is way bigger. That means Christ coming, the incarnation, is massive news. And we should never tire of it. Are, are y'all good? Let's celebrate this every single year. In fact, let's just keep doing it throughout the year because Christ came and Christ died for us and set us free and now shines a bright light on our path. And if we have all these, these many questions, a lot of us have a tendency to call mom and dad. A lot of us have a tendency to call our best friends, to ask people at work, to ask our family members, and that's great. I wonder, are you going to the source first? If you come to me, I know this is hard to hear. If you come to me and I have pastoral needs, if you haven't prayed first, we don't need to have an appointment yet. Your first appointment is vertical. It should always be. Because he is the light of life. And if he's silent on some things, there might be a real good reason for that too. He's wisdom. He's truth. He's the, the illuminating light. He is the very reason we have this mind. In fact, there's another passage that speaks of us having the mind of Christ. I believe it's Philippians. We have the mind of Christ. There are many, many stars in the sky. I thought of, when I was thinking about lights, I was thinking about this idea that there are, there are a massive amount of stars in the sky. And you could let a lot of those guide you. you could, I bet there's a right many of you in the room that don't know how to spot Polaris. First of all, what is Polaris? Who knows? The North Star, I saw you whispering it. You can bring it louder. Uh, that, that's, you're, you're aware. That's good. Polaris, the North Star. It sits almost perfectly over magnetic north, right? 
and has been a way for sailors to find their way for, for millennia, has been a way for us to travel. We don't have to know this stuff anymore because we're so technologically vast that we're retarded. Um, but, but perhaps there might come a scenario where you would need to see where you're going, that you would need to know more. And then there's many stars in the sky, and if you don't know which one to look at, you'd be like the rest of us earthlings who are going about life chasing all kinds of different lights, right? That, well, I think this one, this one, guess what? Guess what's not true? Polaris is not the brightest star in the sky. Well, that's troubling. That means if I want to follow the thing that looks the brightest in the sky, do you know sometimes that's a planet and those suckers are orbiting? You want to chase that? This is what you'll do in life. And some of you are doing that in life. That's how you're living life. And that's how most of your friends and your coworkers are living life. I'm chasing the American dream. I'm chasing the thing that I think success is. And I'm chasing what culture says is the brightest star in the sky. And it is not north. It's not. In fact, it's rotating in my life. And it never makes me happy. And I can't get my feet straight. I can't get my feet on solid ground. This light, and I could have gone to all kinds of places in Scripture. This one isn't always shining the brightest. But it's points certain every time. There's this amazing story of one of the prophets as fire comes by and, and this comes by. And the, the, the voice of God is this soft wind that comes by. And he was smart enough to know we'll wait for that. Sometimes we miss that. That the light of Christ isn't always the brightest. It's not often the squeakiest wheel in our horizon. It's not often the thing that's making the most noise. But we got to hunt for it. Oh, there you are again. Let me not take my eyes off of you who are pointing me in the right way, guiding me in the right path. Christ is the source of not only life, but truth. Three of the biggest, you see this in John chapter 1. He didn't even finish the chapter before he solved three of life's greatest mysteries. Why is there something other than nothing? Why do we think this way? Where did life come from? John's answering that in 18 verses. And he says it's Christ. Rediscover that mystery, my friends. Don't lose, don't lose a grip on that. Rediscover the mystery that Christ is logos and life and light. Now before I pray, I want to mention something. We're taking up a Christmas missions offering next Sunday. And I didn't mention this last week, and I, I meant to do this. And just so you know, every single bit of that goes to the mission field. We keep none of it. That's the point of the Christmas missions offering. And some of you are unaware of this because either you're new or we don't, we don't talk about it maybe as much as we should. But we have friends and partners in many places around the world. We've got a really strong partnership in Uganda. I've been there. It's wonderful. Pastor George is doing great work there. We have two missionary families in Turkey right now, and those are the ones I really want to speak to. I can't mention them by name because it's a dangerous place. But there's two of our families, one of which accepted the call for ministry at our church. And so we sent them. They were first in Indonesia. Now they're in Turkey. And there's another family there, and they have great need. One of them, their, their rent has gone up apparently four times uh, what it was last year. And there's a reason for that because they know there's a church there. And it's illegal, it's an, not illegal, it's, it is a legal church. However, they're raising their rent for that very reason. The other family has need for a vehicle. They don't have a vehicle currently. They've been walking wherever they need to go so far. And so we're trying to raise money along with our Wilson campus 
to help them out. We also have a missionary in, in the Czech Republic. So there's wonderful things. And these are places I hope to go. I hope to take some of you over the next several years. I'm hoping to go back to Uganda. Some of you have raised money for that. And then COVID. And it's been crazy. And now they have other problems that aren't even COVID. There's, there's, there's turmoil in Uganda right now. And the government, really, more than anything. So be in prayer for those people. But we're, we're, we're going to be raising funds together, giving together, so that we might make life a little easier for those who are in much more difficulty than we are. And for the gospel as well. Let's pray together now, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who sent. You are a God who loves you are a God who creates. You are a God who loves so much that you looked at us and said, That's, that people whom I love, they are far from me, and they can't save themselves, so you came. What beauty there. What beauty that, God, you are not only the word spoken that created, but also love and life and light unto our path. And God, I'm asking now, would you do something miraculous in this place? Would you begin to change our hearts that so many of us in the room, we chase a whole lot of different lights that we see in our sky. There's a whole lot of different things that we invest our time in that end up not fulfilling us in the way we hoped. There's a whole lot of things that we stake our hope in that aren't you, and they end up failing us. God, I'm asking, would you redirect our steps? Help us to see you in every decision we make. Help us to come to you in prayer consistently that we wouldn't let you be the back burner or some second, third option, but you would be priority. God, I'm coming to you first because you are light and you are life and you love me. You love me like no one else ever could. You sacrificed yourself in a way that no one else even had the ability to do. God, thank you for who you are. I recognize today, God, that I've made many decisions in my life that you were not at the center of. And they often go really, really wrong. But God, you want something more for me. That's the story of the gospel today. The story, the mystery of Christmas is that God, not only did you create, but you gave the greatest gift of all, yourself. And that we can continue to walk with you now and that the, the end story of Christmas is not just that you came and that the Easter story that you died, but the end story is that you resurrected and you are alive today and active in our life. That's the glory, the mystery of the whole Christmas story. We love you, Lord Jesus. We ask now that you would continue to inhabit our praise this morning. Be with us as we worship and guide us in the following weeks. I pray you would give us opportunities for the gospel in our workplaces in our families, as we begin to see families over the next few weeks, that you would give us opportunities to witness to a parent, to a sibling, to an uncle who's far from you, God. Would you give us, grant us opportunities to glorify you and worship you in a mighty way. We love you. Pray all this in Jesus' name.